Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Anita, what's up? I want to hear about your weekend. It was the best. It was my favorite weekend of my entire life ever you can live again in total yes my friends my loving sweet amazing friends texted me in the week and they were like anita we're taking your kids this weekend and then i thought i responded but i didn't and they're like, we demand an answer. And I was like, the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. No arguments here. So they did. They took my kids and I spent Friday night all by myself. It was the best. I'm speechless for you. Yes, you should be. Tell us what you did. First, I laid on my bed. <laughs> alone alone and nobody bothered me and then i like looked at instagram and nobody bothered me and then i decided i was going to get up and go somewhere so i went to the liquor store <laughs> which is really funny if you know me because i don't drink at all so but i'm making homemade vanilla so i need to get some liquor so i did and then i went and bought some uh, gelato and then I came home and I door dashed Indian food and it was super expensive, but it was so yummy. 
Remember when you, you were texting me during this and you said, I really want Indian food, but it's $47, so I'm just going to have fries. I'm like, I, how can I spend $47 to feed one person? Well, but on the flip side, I would like to say that your weekend, since it was the best weekend of your life, is pretty much something to celebrate. And it part of the reason it was so great is because I did order the food. So. Yes! You can thank me right now in front of everyone. Then I slept in my bed and nobody slept in my bed with me. They didn't kick me. They didn't make noises like breathing noises or any <laughs> any unfortunate noises at all. And then I slept in in the morning. So three of my four kids are now back. My four-year-old came back and was home for about eight minutes and tipped over an entire container of spinach <laughs> all over the floor and i was like welcome home they're back so there we are but i do feel like it was a good little reset and i'm like okay we can do this again how long that lasts will be seen remains to be seen well guess what that's really awesome timing that you're feeling so good because this next weekend is valentine's day uh-huh i don't have a date Yes, you do. We're going to talk about it right now. We have a special Zoom Widow Wives Club hangout planned for this Saturday, February 13th at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We're going to get together because all of our dates are dead. Yes, and you are now our dates and we you. Yeah, so if you would please RSVP to widowwedonow at gmail.com. We would love and appreciate that. We have some fun activities planned. We'll post a link about it also on our social media sites. So don't forget, we would not want you to miss it. If you do have a date, go on the date. Yeah. But we hope it's a good date. But if you don't, come join us and we'll get to see your lovely faces. Mm -hmm. Your lovely smiling or crying faces, whatever they may be. (laughs) But hopefully you're smiling by the end of our activity. I think you will be. And our Widow Wives Club has gotten a bunch of new members this week, which yes. I have mixed feelings about. I'm glad that we're making new friends and that we have more support and supporters and there's a bigger community. However, the reason why is because people are dead. So that sucks. We're sorry, but thanks for joining. Yeah. yeah, it is really great. If you need to check it out, check it out. Just remember to answer all the questions. And send in all the information that we ask for. And don't be mad at us for being protective. Yes. The end. I'm really looking forward to this weekend because I cannot tell you how after this weekend, for me, I really need something that's not a funeral or somebody dying. Do you want to tell us about your funeral that you attended? So my friend that died from COVID that I talked about in last week's intro for the episode, his funeral was yesterday at the time that we are recording this And it was so sad. I played the piano for it. It was a private service and it was hard, I gotta say. But there was something that was really unique that we don't experience a lot in funerals that I wanted to tell everybody about. Ooh, I wanna hear it. Have you ever heard of something called the jazz funeral? No. Okay, now I'm not going to go into a lengthy history of this. Maybe on a future episode we can go more in depth because it's actually pretty exciting and there's a lot of cool historical facts about it. But New Orleans is known as the city of parades, right? Mardi Gras, all that stuff. 
Did you know that? I knew about Mardi Gras. So New Orleans is all about parties and parade. Also, New Orleans is known for its death traditions. Did you know this? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This concept was actually pretty common in a lot of cultures up until the 20th century. And in New Orleans and elsewhere, people would attend funerals that had music played by a brass band. And what they would do was it would the brass band would play solemn and somber music on the way to the grave and happy music on the return. Oh, interesting. Right? Did you, did you guys do that? Yes, I did not because, well, okay, I played piano at the service, but then I went to the graveside with everybody and our, my friends that are brass musicians, they did that. So, yeah, we had a, a tuba, trumpet, saxophones, drummers. And so what they ended up doing was they followed the casket and the pallbearers to the grave and then they continued to play so when you hear when the saints go marching in that's a typical a typical song from a jazz funeral so did you walk to the cemetery no i drove there and then once we all got to the cemetery okay everybody assembled and then did the walked thing. like to the graveside and then walked back to where you had parked your cars more kind of a thing yes wow Check this out. I did a little bit more research just because I wanted to get some specific. And in the traditional jazz funeral, it's usually a prominent member of the community, which is often a musician and nearly always a black male, which is exactly the situation this last weekend. That is who is buried with music. Interesting. In a traditional one. There are modern, modernized ones, of course, too. But yeah, even parades, oftentimes with death, there would be a parade. So you would have what is called the mainline parade. And and that's where the family members and everybody would walk down, kind of simulating the um, the walk from you know you know when people walk in into a funeral and the family comes in first. Oh yeah, followed by the guests. So that would be considered mainline, but it would be a parade. Mm-hmm. And then after the family is something called the second line, and it's really interesting musically because they're the snare pattern, the snare drum pattern that is associated with the second line is what we would call New Orleans groove now. So if I go to a gig and I'm like, hey, I want to play a New Orleans style groove, I would say, let's do second line. And it all stems from this death tradition. Interesting. That was started at funerals. And and it came over from West Africa, Oh, that okay. tradition. And so then when, you know, it became kind of ingrained in the culture in New Orleans and in the African-American community. So yeah, just, that's just a little bit about that. I saw a movie once and they had a death parade kind of like that it was like it seemed kind of festive for you know a a death service i don't know what to call it but it was it took place on like a caribbean island so i bet that stems from the same kind of an idea totally yeah and new orleans is so interesting and cool because there's such a conglomerate of different cultures like yeah the the islanders the caribbean African, Cuban, like Dominican Republic. So they call the the first somber part, they call it dirges. Oh, yeah. Right? So that's the somber part. The band is walking behind the casket to the burial site playing dirges, which is somber Christian hymns performed at slow walking tempo. Then they lay the body to rest. And that's when the band, quote, cuts loose and they play up-tempo music. And then the people that were this in the second line following the procession, they start dancing, and it turns into a street celebration. Wow. Hmm. Maybe we need to plan that for our funerals, because that sounds kind of fun. I know. 
I think it would, I want to have a party when I die. And I think that is such a cool tradition, even though it sucks, people died, right? But so, yeah, it got me thinking a lot about traditions and, and how different cultures are more apt to show emotion in a certain way versus other cultures. There's, there's a lot of expression of emotion vocally and, and physically in some cultures. And then as we know in other cultures, a lot of people sit still, reflect, they're quiet. So yeah, interesting. really interesting. I think I just keep saying interesting. Interesting. It's yeah. interesting, but it is. I mean, and it was a private funeral, so it was not like the whole public was taking part of this. So it was a, it was assemblage of this jazz funeral. COVID's made things weird. COVID and my poor friend's mom, you know, became a widow two years ago, suddenly, and now she's lost her only son. So I totally understand why it was private. And it was nice to see how the music was integrated into the death tradition, honoring our friend, even though none of us feel at peace that he was taken from us. So yeah, interesting though, right? New Orleans has cool and interesting funeral traditions. The only thing I know about New Orleans is how they use the, uh, like they don't bury people under the ground because of like the water table. Don't they like use the uh, above ground? Mausoleum? Crypt was the word I was trying to think of. Man, good job, New Orleans, for being different and unique. But this this funeral was in Utah. They just borrowed some of the, that tradition from that culture. Yeah. What are some of your traditions that might be interesting or unique. Yeah, tell us some of yours. If you have some in your family or that you've experienced or been to or are part of your culture, let us know. We're interested. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff... There is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC registered investment advisor. Send us a Facebook message or an email or comment. Or post in the group. Yeah, post in the group or on our Facebook page. So I have something big coming up this week, Mel. You're having a baby. How did you know? <laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> no, I'm not having a baby, but I have to go back for my one year cancer scan and checkup. How are you feeling? Um, it's kind of funny because I'd forgotten about it until it popped up in my phone. And then I was like, Ooh. can you put that like into that. words? Use your words. <laughs> like, a R G G G U U. Oh my gosh, you're the worst. <laughs> nice. Oh, is that not what I you see. meant? <laughs> no. That's what you meant. Like spell that noise. Um, I mean, for the most part, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I just 
there is that little sense in me that there could be a surprise that I don't want to have at this point in time in my life when things seem to be we're finding our feet. I don't want a wrench thrown back in that. And I know it's possible that a wrench could be thrown back into it. I'm hopeful there won't be, but there is a little bit of trepidation that there could be. Best of luck. Thank you. All of the all of the good vibes, send them to me. Yes. Good luck. Nobody else, just me. And guess what? Whatever the results are, we'll be there for you on yeah. Saturday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. I know. And hopefully, I mean, I really, my gut feeling is that it's going to be fine. So, Okay, so we really hope you guys will join us on Saturday. And also remember to check out the Widow Eyes Club. Right now, we're going to do our Patreon shout out. Our first message is from a mystery patron who would like to send the message of Widows Unite! Boom! Next, we have Anna Tracy, Ashley Hahn, Christina Scambato, Christine Anderson, who is today! This is their episode today! Yay! Dawn Satterwhite, Diana Becker, Emily Thornton, Aaron Posick, Gabe Lozano, Ileanabel Ruiz, Ivan Meisner, Jamie Aliota, Jenny Barrow, Jenny Taylor, Joy Kirsch, Karen from Canada Cornejo, Cat, the mysterious cat with just one name, Katie Kuntz, Kara Scara. That's not Lori- her real name. We just no. always say that. I know. Lori Farrington, Marie Hoffman, Marjorie Lewis, Fist Bump, Rachel Barbosa, Woo Woo Sarah Morris, Shannon Helm. Your name is Sylvia. Tammy Schwartz. And Black Wendy. Thank you to all of you for supporting these two poor young widows. The Widow Coil and the Widow Shore. We appreciate your support. We really do, guys. Yeah. And thanks for everything you help us to do to help other widows. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're just two young widows who are excited about today's episode and trying to figure out widow we do now. Anita! What a... What's happening? We're here to interview one of our very special friends who we have actually met in real life. Well, I have. I have not. Wait. No, I didn't, though. You came to my house, but I wasn't here. Okay, so she semi-stalked me, but we've never met in person. And I guess I'm kind of semi-stalked Mel, if you do that definition, because I used to work where that theater was. And it turned out one of the people in the production lived in my neighborhood and gave me some free tickets because he wanted me to come to it. And it turns out it was the one that your Scott had directed, right? So Tale of Two, the Tale of Two Cities. So I went with my dear friend and then, so it's kind of weird. So like, like, but I've been to Anita's porch to pick up my shirt and I've been to the theater we're Scott. To his final show. It's always such a small world, too. Well, this is Christine, and Christine is a member of our Widow Wives Club, and that's how we know her. And then we've had other interactions, and even previous interactions before she was a member of the Widow Wives Club. Dun, da, da, da. And she has graciously offered to tell her story today. So, Christine, will you tell us a little bit about 
yourself? Where do you live? Kind of give us your biographical details. I'm in Utah and I'm in Salt Lake City proper, right in the heart of Salt Lake City, Utah. And I love where we live. I work in rehabilitation counseling. So that's people with disabilities and we help them find employment. And I love to advocate and do different things. So how many kids do you have? I have three boys, right? Boys, and they are all adopted. And I'm making that distinction. I don't always like to make that distinction, but um, they all are adopted and that's part of our story. And so they are currently 15. One just turned 11 and the other one will turn 10 on Saturday. So at the time that Brian passed away, they were, let me think, 11 seven and six so so how long ago is that i can't do four years i know can't do math with widow brain uh that brian's passed away three and a half years years. you want to tell us about that yes that's okay once upon a time once upon a time that's how i always start the story that's so funny Mel. (laughs) brian and i met at our college we are university sweethearts college sweethearts and we met in our college choir and he was a, they sometimes put us together and, and group us accordingly. I'm a soprano. He is a bass and a very wonderful, resonant bass. And I knew him the moment I heard his voice, actually. I just loved it. He had a booming voice and he was loud and such a funny personality. And so we met in our choir and got to be friends and hang out with each other. And then we decided we wanted a little bit more than friendship. And so we started our life together. I was just really young, a 21-year-old, and he was 22. And we just wanted to start our life. And after about a year of marriage, we decided, let's start having kids. And then I knew we were going to have issues with having kids because I already knew infertility was going to be part of my story. But it became a really, really long journey for us. And... We had tried for several years, and this is back in the day when they didn't have a lot of stuff to help with infertility. And so we tried a couple of things and it wasn't working. And people kept saying, aren't you just going to adopt? Or Brian's funny personality is when people said, where are your kids? He'd say, we're barren in the straightest of face. And he just cracked me up all the time with that. So he just was funny and he was my comic relief to everything. And he worked for the airlines. So we were able to travel a lot of places and really um, enjoy the world. Sometimes we would just go to Hawaii for an extended weekend and come back if the flights looked good. So we did a lot of traveling and, and trying to um, just enjoy each other while we were still trying to figure out how we were going to have kids. And then during our second in vitro, they found ovarian cancer for me, but we um, caught it at a point where they could do a lot of surgery to help with my recovery, but it certainly ended the possibility of a biological child. And we'd already started looking at adoption and that's when we really, obviously adoption was the choice for us. And so two years after I had ovarian cancer, then we were chosen by a birth mom for our oldest. And then he was the only child for about five years. And then found my second one on the internet through a Google search. Oh, wow. This is such a weird, Funny. this is an interesting concept. I, I know. I found him on a Craigslist ad. You know, it was like available infant adoption situations. And then it, there was one for a girl and one for gender unknown. And I thought, 
Now I couldn't choose it biologically. Well, let's see if this one. And, and it turns out the birth family liked us too. And then he came to our lives. So his name is Christian and my oldest is James. And then a few months after Christian was born, I just felt like there's another kid. There's we've got, and Brian would look at me like, we just, we just went through this really difficult time trying to get all of our kids. And now James is five and we just barely got Christian. You're saying there's another one. I said, we, we've got to find it. And we had done a lot of advocacy with our adoption agency and helped other couples. And we ran our local chapter with adoption. And so you create a profile and I left it at the agency and said, just use it as an example if someone wants to see it. And my youngest birth mom, Jonathan, happened to see that profile. And she said, oh, they look like such a nice family and so kind, but maybe they don't want another boy. And it just felt right to us. So, so we have these three boys who are rambunctious and our youngest one has had a lot of, um, I would say his sweet birth mom was very tattered. So my youngest Jonathan has a lot of things. And so my kids have disabilities that really make things intense and challenging at times, but also very exciting, very exciting. <laughs> and so when we were in our lives together, we have a great partnership. This is what we wanted. Our kids are doing great. And I tell you that backstory because as a survivor of infertility for 20 some odd years, I hated Mother's Day. I really did not like it. It brought up so much pain and especially and Father's Day too, but Mother's Day just was so heavy all the time. So I started to like Mother's Day again after we adopted our kids and I got a little more used to it. And then one particular Mother's Day, Brian woke up, made these Swedish pancakes and he had to work that day. So we went into work and he said, I'm going to come and take a little bit of time off and I'll come to church with you so I can see the kids and see their little Mother's Day thing. And, and then we'll go visit family. And I said, great. So it started off as a great day. And then we visited family. All my siblings were at my mom's house and we just got a chance to talk to everyone. And then we went to his family's house and just throughout the day though, Brian was kind of tired and but that's not unusual when you have three rambunctious boys with, with their things that they have. My oldest has ADHD and, adopt, and autism, and my middle one has ADHD, and the youngest one has a lot of behavioral issues and a lot of and ADHD. And so it's, it's vibrant. And Brian and I were a good team. We balanced each other out and could tag team and help. And he worked out his work schedule so that he could be home with them in the afternoon and I went in later so I could take care of the morning. So we had a good system going. So Mother's Day, he was really tired. And I just said, hey, are you feeling okay? And he said, oh, you know, and I'm tired. And that's not unreasonable with our children. So then as time went on, we saw his family and he was getting a little, a little more tired. And um, on the drive home, he, he was talking to me about the day and kids were loud and he, and he was frustrated with some things from the day, but, um, quickly turned it around with his personality that he had. So then when I got home, I was thinking, Oh, 
oh, this was a big day. And he said, hey, let me take care of the boys. I'm going to go tuck them in. And I said, really? And so he said, you just settled, you know, it's Mother's Day. You get settled for the night. Maybe we'll watch a show together or something. And so I, I was getting things ready for the day, he, for the night, and the next day for the work week ahead. And he came down and he said, hey, I found the show that we like. It's based off of a play. So we sat down to watch that and he, and he was kind of sleepy. And then I was sleepy. And I said, you know what? And he said, let's just, let's forget about this movie. We can watch it another time. So we just started getting settled for the night. And then I noticed he wasn't breathing very well. And I started to hear raspy things and he wasn't, and I said, Hey, Brian, Brian. And then I noticed he wasn't responsive at all. And he had, he was having a heart attack and I don't keep my phone by my bed because I thought, Oh, I'm going to be distraction free. You know, I don't sleep with my phone near my bed. So I had to grab my phone and I called emergency services and we live on a hill. So our, our, garage is kind of on the main level and our upper house is on the top. And I opened the garage door and I, and I started doing CPR and chest compressions. And Brian's a big guy. And I was on the phone with them and, and they were helping me through it. I had been trained, but in that time of trauma, you're still trying to do it and chest compressions and walking me through it. And I just, I just knew it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And so uh, the EMT people were on their way and I kept saying, "He, I'm losing him. I, you've got to get here. And I really did see the light go out in his eyes. And um, soon after emergency personnel arrived and, and started working on him in the hallway in our family room from our bedroom. And that's when I just sobbed and I had that emotional release of, goodness what is going on and somehow between that time and the one of the police officers or the fire people I don't know which one was helping me and talking me through things and I just remember crying and somehow between there I text messaged family members it must have been a really cryptic weird text message but um we don't live that far from his parents so they arrived first and then eventually my family came but um I was thinking, hooray, the boys are asleep upstairs. They haven't even seen any of this. I found out later that my oldest did see the ambulance and his dad leaving. So getting to the hospital, I was still in shock, but I, after seeing his color change and what that I knew he'd already left, I, I just had some experiences that confirmed to me that he wasn't coming back. And I had called a, my really good friend and I had told her and she said, is everything okay? And she reminded me that I whispered to him, I think he's gone. So she rallied the troops and came up to the hospital to see me as well. But the doctor came and found me and we were riding up the elevator and he just said, how much time do you think passed? And I said, I have no idea because in the moment you never know what I said. It's, I know it's not good. His color had changed and I knew he was gone. And it's always when you get off the hospital floor, you have to walk this long hallway. And I felt like everyone could see me. You know, Brian was 44, just a month shy of his 45th birthday. And I was, I don't know, widow brain in me, 43, I guess. So I had to walk that long hallway. I felt like everyone was looking at me. And when I walked in the room, 
I was taken aback because I said out loud to one of the nurses, I said, wow, his color looks great. Because in my mind, I'd already seen him pass and he was blue and gray. And she looked at me and she said, you need to know this is really a grave situation. You are actually going to be a widow. And I was looking at her like, what? You've just used the word widow? What? And my brain was trying to process, you know how things are just, I felt slow and I felt like the world was spinning around me with everything happening. I was trying to process, but then I realized, well, I think he's already passed away, but he looks so good. What, what do we do? And he, nothing prepares you for seeing your husband on a ventilator. And I've worked in hospitals, but when you actually see him and you hear the sounds and you hear and smell, it was intense. So I just felt that's really when the fog set in for me of, oh my goodness, the gravity of this situation, but my kids are home and they rely on routine and structure for them and predictability that helps them feel safe. So I felt like I, I got to go home. I got them ready for school. And I said, you're going to school. But I said, daddy had a heart attack. He's very sick. And just the conversation you have to have with your kids. So I took them to school and I went back, but that whole week, I commented to my friend often, I had friends rally around me, wonderful support and family. And I just had this strange peace. And it was really difficult because I'd already felt in my head from all the situation that he was gone, but then having him on life support was really interesting because it was talking to the doctors a lot, wondering, oh my gosh, how did I get to this situation? So subsequently we had several tests and blood things happening and we knew he was, he was really not going to ever recover. And so we, so Sunday late night, Mother's Day, we took him off life support that Friday afternoon. What was interesting to me is, is I just, I felt him around me a lot during that time. And Brian being in the travel industry, I, I had said to them, well, before I get there, I want to say this. So I had had such a trauma, trauma experience in saying goodbye to him the first time that the second time taking him off life support was something I will never forget. It was a chance for me to say goodbye in a peaceful, loving way. And it was a beautiful experience, if you can say that. So juxtaposition of a traumatic say goodbye to your husband doing CPR and taking him off life support was, was an amazing privilege to help my husband lead this life. But when I was leaving the hospital, I kept saying to them, is there a checkout time? Do we leave? What do I do? <laughs> hang out here? Oh, must and die by 11 like, o'clock or you're charged for the right? next day. But what, what was interesting is I said, okay, well, what time did he actually pass? And they said, well, it was around noon. And I started to laugh, which, you know, I could either cry or laugh in stressful grief situations. I'm very fluent in grief between ovarian cancer and adoption and infertility. But when I heard that, I started to, to laugh and they were looking at me like, oh no. And I said, he's in the travel industry. He checked out at noon 
check out what's new. And I started to laugh and they were like, are you okay? And I said, no, this is great. This is how he'd want to go check out at noon. So that anyway. so ironic. Is that the word? Fun- right? Like funny. We, right? For us widows, we're, we can say it's funny. Right. But it's, like- and, and Brian would think that was funny because he would, he would tell people we were barren. So I just felt like he was there with me because the comic relief was coming out. Um, he sounds like he's our kind of people. Oh, he, oh, he is. He's totally your people. Why do all the fun people die? Christine, I love that you describe your children as vibrant with what they are dealing with. Will you tell us about how it has been being their mom, helping them through grief? What's it like after the death of Brian? Like, tell us all about that stuff. Cause that's, you have a lot going on. Oh my goodness. The other, you know, you want to tell them in an age-appropriate developmental way. That's my training. But to come home, my oldest is is smart. And he did a birds and bees reproductive book report when he was in first grade. No! He's smart. (laughs) He's smart. Okay. So he says to me, dad's not coming home. Did you try everything? And I finally had to say, oh. brain is the computer of the whole body. Yeah, his, we have a machine for his lungs. We have a machine for his heart. We can't fix his brain. And he said, that controls the whole body. And just to have to tell him in such a profound way, I would never wish that on anyone. So how he responded to Brian's death he cried. He he's he's emotional, and and he also was trying to be strong. And I said, "You don't need to be your dad. You just need to be James." But throughout that following year, I switched him to a school for kids with disabilities. It actually probably was just poor timing for everything with grief for him because he stopped eating and he got very very thin, and. In his brain, I kept saying, you, you can eat, but I would find it in his clothes. And granted, we already see a lot of therapists. He already sees, he's on medication and he sees, he gets a lot of support. So our medical providers knew all of this, but most of them just kept saying, he's just going to need time. Finally, what worked is I said, whose DNA do you have? Well, I have my birth moms and my birth fathers. I said, what do your birth grandparents look like? Because we have a very open adoption. Are they heavy like dad? Well, no. And I said, you don't have the same DNA. You are not going to have a heart attack. Okay, so I can eat. Oh. So he would slowly start to eat. But that's how he internalized it is, I can't eat. I'm going to get heavy like my dad. He didn't even want to eat a hamburger because their tradition after school is he'd go pick them up and get him a frosty at Wendy's. And I subsequently learned he would always get a big burger. And when I was, it's for us at night. So the kids have stories of that. Like, oh yeah, dad would buy us chili. It was so great. So (laughs) for him to stop eating was really, really difficult, really difficult. And he just, he just internalized it that way. Now my middle kiddo, Christian, was buddies with Brian. They have the same personality. His 
Christian's birth father reminded me a lot of Brian when we met him for the first time. So they share a lot of characteristics and he's witty and funny like Brian. He didn't cry. He didn't want to see him in the casket. He took a step back all the time and he'd go to therapy with my oldest, but he'd just kind of listen. He never really wanted to engage with anything. And then what happened is he started to really get upset. He would throw things. He broke our family picture. He broke a picture of Jesus and he was fighting at school every day. The principal and I got to know each other really well. He'd say, hi, Christine calling again. But um, he finally has done better with our local children's grief group support group because he can be loud and energetic and he's now learned that other kids have loss and it's been really great for him. So a group setting is better for him rather than individual. And then our youngest, Jonathan, um, just cried all the time, cried all the time, wanted to, he already was clingy to me, but more so clingy and just any, he just was attached to me. I call him my barnacle J because he's just right on me all the time. <laughs> and they're very different in their personalities. And to navigate that, plus my own response to grief, I know how I respond to grief because of it. I even had a miscarriage and then we had the ovarian cancer and infertility. And you even experience grief and adoption because you care so much about your birth families. And then grieving the loss of a biological, I, I'm familiar with grief. So I already knew, oh my gosh, I, I need to get a hold of this. People call me the overachieving widow at times because I just do so many things and I volunteer and I advocate and I work full time. I just wanted to help my kids and I kind of just gathered them in and anything that took more energy than I had, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I just focused on me and the boys and surrounding me with people who could, who could build me up and validate and support me. The barnacle comparison makes me feel so exhausted for you because kids are life suckers. And it's so hard when you're trying to like deal with your own stuff. And then they're like, mom, well, and I had, mom, I had gone back to- I had gone back to work and of course, Brian and I had juggled that. And now for him to not be that presence for them after school and have that change. And my kids had been dismissed from several daycare centers already that it just felt like, what am I going to do? And I didn't have a lot of leave time because I use it a lot for their appointments and things. And I felt like I need to go back to work so I can save some time. I'm now a solo parent. So I went back to work two weeks after he died. And I have a fantastic staff and a fantastic bosses who are so supportive. You know, my field of study is rehabilitation counseling and we help people. So everyone was very supportive, but that brain fog for sure. And I didn't have the energy after I came home at night muster the strength to read them their stories, keep their routine. But yet, oh, so hard. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. That brain fog is real. 
I wanted to ask you about all the grief that you had been through up until this point. I mean, that that's so many different facets of life that you've already gone through. Then Brian dies. What are some of the main things that you were not prepared for that you only learned about by going through the widow journey? Wow. I That's a really good question, Mel. I think I love to serve people so that they could help through my own grief. Does that make sense? So I started to understand a birth parent, expectant parent's journey in placing for adoption. And I did that by, I would, Brian and I would host a Mother's Day luncheon or activity for birth moms because we felt like they didn't have a birth um, Mother's Day. And so that's what helped me through a lot of that grief. I started a women's support group for gynecological cancers and that helped me. But for this grief, it was, I can't do that. How do I serve when I am zapped myself, when all I can think about is survival for me and my boys. And there's a, a really kind neighbor that I had and he, he is retired, but he's a social worker and he ran grief groups. He came to see me shortly after. And he said, you need to slow down. I know who you are and you just want to tackle things head on and get through grief and check it off your list. And I know, you know, better than that, but you need self-care. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, how do I get self-care when I really didn't even have self-care before (laughs) when I had a, a spouse here and now I'm solo parenting and that, that really took a lot. So I felt like I couldn't do the grief process that I wanted to because I wasn't having a service component with it. My husband was the same way with, he loved to help others when he was going through stuff. And I know oftentimes when that component can be taken away and you have to rely on others or you are not able to give service, it makes, Mm -hmm. it's such a part of people's identity that then they feel inadequate. Did you notice any of those feelings? Not necessarily inadequate. I took service a different way. Like I would send messages or cards to people or, but yes, to be the recipient of service was hard for me because it's fine. Everything's fine. I can do this. I got this. That's where I, I laugh at myself when I say overachieving widow, because Nope, that wasn't in my process. It's not on my checklist. I'm going to check this off and get this through. But that doesn't help. I think this pandemic has made me slow down and sit with my grief more. That I think that's been harder because I was like, yep, going to get through it. Yep. Oh, year one. Okay. I don't remember any of it, but okay. Year two, here we go. And year three is the pandemic. And now whatever support I even had of takeout and people willing to come and help me with the boys, none of that happens. And then it's like, Oh, here we are again. (laughs) That was hard. And it's, it's been interesting to sit with my grief a little bit more and have another aspect of healing. But the other piece is, is I have a fantastic therapist. I saw her three weeks after Brian died, she, I called her and she said, why are you coming so soon? And I said, I already know how this works for me. I've got to come in and see you. And it was a therapist I hadn't seen in a while, but she helped us through the adoption journey. 
And so I felt like she already knew the history of me and Brian that I didn't have to go way back. I could just say, here's where we are now. Let me catch up a little bit and check. And I didn't have time for a lot of the therapy. I went once a month, but she, it was long sessions as we talked about different things and helping me through the trauma, helping me through coping. She's the one who said, keep a list of what you need. And then when people ask you, how can they help you? You're not brain fogged to say, I don't know how you can help me. But I also appreciated the people who, who didn't ask me, they just showed up and did something and didn't take no for an answer. And they knew me well enough that I was going to say no. And they'd say, nope, not taking that. I'm coming to clean your bathrooms. What's the code to get into your garage so I can clean your bathroom? Can I just say cleaning your bathroom is like the universal widow gift. Nobody doesn't need to have their bathroom cleaned. Even if it's like the grossest job, just get over it and let somebody. I mean, I have three boys. Come on. It's pretty gross. I know me too. There is like pee in places. There should not be pee. I'm like, how? I don't even understand the physics of this. Brian called our, our bathroom the subway station. He'd be like, what? What is happening here? He would clean it more than I would because he hated it so much. But yes. So people who just showed up. And if I could do a little coping or service announcement as how it worked for me, I didn't eat a lot during that time. My boys weren't really eating, but yet they were hungry because they're growing kids aside from James not eating, but people would bring meals and I so appreciate it, but it was so much food and I wasn't eating some of it. The boys didn't eat. They're not picky, but they're very routine oriented. And so changes for them was really difficult. I loved when people would just drop by a gift card so that if there was a moment that I needed to come home from work and, oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about it, then I could stop. No, it's not incredibly healthy, but you know what? It helped us. And so I appreciated that. And I even had a few people who would leave me a couple of gift cards for a massage. I had three or four massage gift cards. And I was like, I don't know. Is that really self-care for me? How am I going to take time to go get a massage? But when I did, that was fantastic. I love that. And at the advice of a colleague, she said, you should make time for this because you need all your five senses and you need to go get a massage. And, and I thought, how am I going to carve out time for that? But I did. And I'm still going not quite so much on a monthly basis, but I do go really often. And that's been really helpful as far as my wellness, my coping. I keep saying sleep is overrated, but that's because it was overrated even before I was a widow. So, so the, the interesting <laughs> thing about that massage that you bring up is that sometimes we forget about the importance of human touch. And COVID has made that worse because we're not interacting with people and we're not getting hugs and we're not getting, you know, physical interaction. And the physical interactions that we took for granted with our husbands is now gone. And so there is something, I mean, they have studies where when you're physically touched, your brain releases oxytocin and oxytocin is one of those happy chemicals. And so like the idea of a massage is actually based in really good science, you know? So I think that I would recommend all widows 
should do the massage thing just because that physical it, touch. It was hard. Yeah. You're right. Especially if it's not something that you're used to. I had never gotten a massage. No. Before I was I had a never. I, I had a, occasionally, but when a colleague suggested that, I was like, I don't know. And she said, I promise this is going to be the best for your self-care. And it's hard to go from self-care feeling selfish but really truly saying, I need to do this. Otherwise I will not have anything left in my gas tank to even help my kids at this point. So totally. I always, it's rough. I always thought of massages as like, you know, for the rich people. So I'm, right. not, I'm, not, I'm not one of those. I'm not one that goes to the, no. the spa and gets right? my poor widow Anderson does not have time for it. Cannot pay for that. Yeah. So true. I actually get lymph drainage massages every week, which helps your lymph system to drain. To, yeah, to drain. <laughs> Shut up, Anita. Sorry. I'm trying to find my words. And 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 our immunity can also go down when we're dealing with such grief too. I have a question, Christine. Sure. So, just from some of the things I've seen you write about it seems to me and maybe maybe I'm wrong but I think I'm right that you have had people give you some maybe some pushback or some flack for you putting you and your family first and pulling away from some of those other things that you felt were extra or non-essential that's like a buzzword in COVID you know you're like this is this is non-essential do you want to tell us a little bit about that and and sure. Maybe, and yeah. I think it's part of the fact that I was an overachiever, advocating, serving others, serving others in my grief, that for me to shut down and say, well, I can only do this. I'm going to have to say no. I think to say no and set boundaries when you hadn't done that effectively before is really shocking to people who haven't seen you in that sense. So a lot of people may have viewed my self-care or my need to cope and circling the wagons, so to speak, and surrounding me with people who are really going to buoy me up and support me is difficult. That's some people have said that I'm selfish and I'm self-righteous. Wait, I want a list of those people. Because should we call them? <laughs> we, we need to have a little chat with those people. Do they want to come right? on our podcast and we can tell them why they're dumb? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's rude. I'm not. You know. okay, so that was, <laughs> and, and I'm trying to understand from their point of view that to have a piece of that life taken away or someone who could be readily available or to be accessible or whatever the case may be. But to have, I often say pre-Christine and post-Christine Brian's death, because now post-Brian's death, I, I am not as confident as I used to be. I'm not as, I'm not an adventurous person or spontaneous because I have my plan, but Brian certainly balanced me out and I helped him along. And I find that I'm not as confident. It took me a long time to feel like, could I even travel with my kids? I didn't tell them that we were going to St. George, the Southern part of our state for a long time, because if I chickened out, 
They didn't know. It's so funny. I do the same thing. I never tell them anything because I'm like, it might not happen. It might not happen. I might not be able to do this. I'm not going to tell them until right when we get in the car. And then they're like, what are we doing? Which is counterintuitive to help kids with anxiety. You want to prepare them. I don't. I want them to feel a state of intense fear (laughs) all the time. And that is why your life is how it is, Anita. (laughs) I'm I'm perpetuating my own problems. I know. exciting well they're you know my kids are already in therapy you know let's just (laughs) i think was it around christmas time that you made the post in the widow wives club about the circling the wagons and i remember reading that and that visual actually made so much sense because i think we all do feel a lot of grief maybe not all but a lot of us feel pulled in a lot of different directions in the holidays and we also have our grief and wherever we are at with our mental health at the time and And it also just goes to show that that even though we're talking about not putting a timeline on people, people are always going to put us on a timeline. It's like, okay, well, you've had like a couple Christmases without your spouse. So now are you going to start coming back to this holiday thing? And it's like, well, what if my energy is shot? And also, what about what I need? Or what about my kids need? So do you feel like it kind of goes along with other people's versions of what our timeline should be? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it was when I had a miscarriage and that was so traumatic for me. I mean, it was my one and only pregnancy I've ever had. And I lost it at 10 weeks. And people would say, well, it wasn't like a real baby or so it was early a cabbage patch. Then- <laughs> it was a, a block of cells. <laughs> what did they block say? Block of cells. A cluster. It just, so it's also in your body. Like. Can you get over it? Like you shouldn't cry all the time. I was more griefy. My my oldest calls it griefy when I have when I get that way. He's like, "Are you griefy?" Yes, I'm griefy. So, you know, I I approached it differently, and I remember again during that time, I recognized who was supportive and who wasn't. Or, you know, and we say a lot of ridiculous things to people who are grieving, but what I appreciated is the friends who held space for me, they didn't judge. They didn't think about it. My dear friend, we talked to each other every morning on our commute to work or to take the kids to school. Not so much now during the pandemic because nobody's doing that, but she would hold space for me and I would cry on the phone or I would hash things out, talk to her about it. Cause I think you need a therapist and you need a really good friend. Who's going to listen to that. And she would call me out on stuff or she'd say, you know what, you can do this. And there were times when I'd say, I I can't go on this trip. I can't go on this trip. She's like, you can do this. You've done it. Or I applied for a promotion in my work and I didn't want to apply. This was last March. And she said, this is you. This is what you worked for. Why aren't you applying? And I said, I I don't want any more change. I, I can't, I don't want to do this right now. I, Brian's died and she'd say, I know, but this is you and it's going to be great. You can do this. But I think that takes your confidence when you're not going to apply. You're not going to take your kids on a trip. Um, Just before the shutdown in January, I didn't tell the kids, but I planned a trip to Disneyland because it was going to be our 25th wedding anniversary. And the kids were turning their birthdays in January. And I was like, I can't tell them. I didn't tell them until the morning we got up and I said, we're going to Disneyland. What? I said, yeah, the bags are all packed. And I, but I planned everything. Like I had a driver pick us up because I didn't want to worry about 
parking and getting the kids. And then I had a driver pick us up once we arrived at the hotel and we stayed on site because I was not going to cross the street or do anything weird with these kids. And Question. And that was... For my benefit, because I'm at this stage where I'm like really struggling with the idea of adventuring again. Did you have leashes for all of them? We call them safety tethers at our house. (laughs) (laughs) No, we did. We did it. That was when they were younger. We had safety tethers at Disneyland and we were like that modern family episode. Oh, that was so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I've lost a kid at Disneyland already. And that was when I had a husband. So. I mean, the first hours into Disneyland, I, I lost my oldest. And then my youngest, my Christian was trying to chase after him. If you're going to get lost, Disneyland's the place because the security officers found me and they said, we have him on film going from this right to this right, <laughs> trying to find you. We just were waiting for him to stop. And I thought, oh, that's, you can see all of that, which is comforting, but not at the same creepy. But kind of when you're like in our no. situation, you're like, I don't care about right? my privacy. Find my freaking kids. Find our kid. Yeah. Find my kid. So I did it. And it was so, so to go to St. George and I cried the whole time I was in St. George at the pool. Who cared? Nobody saw, everyone saw me crying. One of my widow friends happened to be down there and she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I made it to St. George. And then to go to California. But I cry, I cried on the plane and the flight attendant came over and I said, my husband works for the airlines. I'm a widow. She's like, let me get you some snacks. <laughs> I was yeah, wondering if that was going to be her solution. All the things you want. And right? some wings, a wing pin right? and some crackers. So I, it was so empowering for me that I did that though. I'm so proud of myself. I know Brian was proud of me. I, I want to be the widow that he's proud of too, which I, he already is proud of me. He already is amazed with me before we even got married. Of course, I'm amazing. Man, well, I'm impressed that you have energy to do these things. I know you said that you've had to like pull it back in self-care, but to me, it seems like you have had way more energy than I have and I have zero kids. So no, I don't know. I think you just... I had to find it in me to get up. If I didn't have kids, I really would have stayed in bed all day, every day. When you were talking about putting your, uh, like putting in for that promotion and saying, I don't want any change. I feel like there's this sense of like, I don't want to, I don't want to venture anywhere. I don't want to risk anything. I've lost so much that it's not worth the risk, even though like in your brain, the risk of applying for a job and not getting it is not that bad, but you were so risk averse. We don't want to stick our necks on the line for anything because that sense of loss really throws you back and makes you, I mean, not want to try and go on vacation, not want to try and do anything that's like very, very, very insular and comfortable. Yes, very much so. Which the promotion ended up being great because, um, more money. Well, yes, that did help, but (laughs) I, I'm in human services. We don't make that much money. So, but I wasn't having to be in charge of people and counselors and support staff and in charge of a lot of other people. Um, I'm now kind of my own person and I have a boss that of course I'm accountable to, but I have some flexibility. So when the world shut down, I would have had to go into the office more frequently to take care of things. But whereas this job, I don't need to, I've been able to work from home. So it's actually been really beneficial that 
I had this because I don't know how we would have survived the pandemic and all of that if I wasn't home and had the flexibility. Wow. Well, Christine, thank you. You have been very well put together. Christine is in our Widow Wives Club. So those of you widows that are not in the club yet, you should definitely join. And she is great and is interactive. And we love having her in there. So and maybe we didn't even talk about mediums <gasps> or psychics. <gasps> Dang it. It's because we have to, you have to find one. So and Christine is also on the hunt <laughs> because she keeps attracting all these psychic mediums to her. She's going to pick one and bring it to us. There's one that lives down my street. I had remodeled my house and I came back and I was out front checking on something and she was walking her dog and she said, pardon me. And I would, you know, me being Larry and a newly widow, I'm, I'm kind of distrustful now too of like new people. And I said, yes. And she said, do you have, well, did someone die here? And I was like, Yes. She said, do you have three boys? Yes. With specific disabilities and challenges? Yes. And it started to creep me out. And just before I had come out, I had driven home and I was crying. It was a really hard day. And the boys were like, what's the matter? I'm like, I just missed your dad. And then when I pulled in, I said, go inside, go get a snack. I'm going to come out here and check on the house. And that's when she pulled in and she said that. And I said, yes. And she said, I know you think he's on a cloud just relaxing, hanging out, but any chance he can get to come and see you, he does. And he loves you. And he's just sad. He's not here to help you anymore. Oh, thank you. I know. I believe. Oh my gosh, this is great. And then she came by about six months later, I was doing something in my garage and she said, hi, hi. And she kept calling me Barbara. And I said, my name's not Barbara. And she goes, oh, that's your sister. I had never told her my sister's name was Barbara. That's what? true fact. This is the dog walking and lady. This is the dog walking lady. Her name is Bear. And I got a track. Bear? Bear. She, like like grizzly bear? Like grizzly bear. Yeah. And then we have to find just a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago at work, my sister actually works in the same building. And I had to go in to reset a password and sync my computer and all that. And she said, I was walking in and she happened to be talking to someone and I just waved and I went on my business and later she came back and she said, Hey, you need to go introduce yourself to her. I said, no, I I'm not in the mood and I'm here to just get some stuff done. And then she said, no, 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 I'll go with you. I said, really? She said, then you can say hi to the other staff people. And I love to see you. So I walked in, we got chatting and they asked how the boys were doing and all of that. And Brian came up. And then I left. And so my sister came back later and she said, she said that there was a presence following you. And that presence has dark hair. And I said, what? Because Brian has dark hair. And she said, it, it was just wanting me to tell you that you are loved. He adores you. And he's taking care of the baby. And I was like, what? This is a different person? That was a different person. So like, I, the people find me who see dead people. Listen, I'm serious. You need to go talk to all those people and bring them to us. And maybe the reason why your dog walker bear medium person is avoiding you is because she knows we want to talk to her. Because she crosses the street now when she sees me. She's probably like, oh, I can't. I can't. His presence is too big. She's like, he is annoying me. I got across the street. That is crazy. Okay, well, we are 
anxiously awaiting being able to talk to dog walking bear. That is a weird sentence. <laughs> the medium. The medium. The medium. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. You are both are delightful. Thank oh. you for helping me on this Thank journey. You. Found you randomly and Emily Thornton shout out to her. She said, Hey, you need to check out this podcast. Oh, you guys are friends. You guys you're Yes. Oh. Emily is my like dye your hair cool colors. Yes. Sister. Well, because Emily Emily also has a similar journey in the sense that um, she had infertility and adoption and we met through a mutual adoption friend and now we oh also are gosh. widows. Ugh. So we have a lot of similarities, but yes, yeah, she said, Oh my gosh, you need to check out this podcast. Mel and Anita are so hilarious. And they're like the same personality that we could laugh about. Like, and so I started finding you and then that's amazing. Just love you so much. Thank you for all your positivity and all that you're doing. And I just appreciate all that you're doing for the cause of widowhood. Yes. Thanks for Widows supporting unite. us. Hey, but we got to know what's your favorite cheese. We can't stop with that. Yeah. I like to smoke Gouda and some brie. Mm, smoked Gouda, nice. I swear. It's up there. People I think that's it. the most common yes. so, so far. I love smoked Gouda. Yes. Good choice. Okay. Thank you so much, Christine. We appreciate you talking to us. And we hope that you guys have found this episode interesting and that Christine did a great job of telling her story. So thank you so much. Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club, answer all the questions, check out our Patreon. And also you can buy us a taco at what is it, Mel? <laughs> Buymeacoffee.com. Yeah, we, we like tacos. So yeah, you can do that too if you want to. And remember to give our podcast a rating and a review because I'm obsessed and I want. And Anita needs to feel better. She has feelings about it. <laughs> do I text Melanie all the time. I'm like, we need more ratings and reviews. I'm in a contest with myself. Did I call you Melanie? Did you just call me Melanie? Uh, it's because Oof. my sister is named Melanie too. And I have a hard time. See, this is what she does if she doesn't get enough ratings and reviews. But thanks to everyone who has done that already. Appreciate We that. see you and appreciate you. <laughs> Until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And Christine. And we're just two young widows and a medium attractor extraordinaire. And we're trying to figure out Widow we do, do now. Oh, This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what well, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. 
And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trimintmobile.com slash WWDN.